everyone. Welcome to another episode of Soberland. I am your host, Lindsay Cowan. I am so excited about today's guest. It's um, someone that I greatly admire personally and professionally. She is an incredibly successful marketing and communications executive who has led the turnaround for corporate companies such as Starbucks, Taco Bell, IHOP, and Applebee's. And she currently serves as the Senior VP of Global Communications and Insights for the company that I work for. Um, on top of that, she is a board member for the Discovery Cube, a planning commissioner for the city of Tustin, California, and the head of the Dine Research Institute. So yeah. to put it lightly, she's kind of a big deal. <laughs> um, please welcome Amy Mason. Thank you, Lindsay. I'm so excited to be here. This is really cool. Thank you for having me. Um, so first off, yes, I work with Lindsay, and I'm so lucky. And all of those great things in my professional background are the results of being part of great teams um, with great missions and uh, visions of how to be successful. And But the reason I'm here today is not in a professional um, capacity at all. It's really to cheer you on uh, because I think you're so awesome. And so um, when you had asked me if I might consider being on your podcast, I was a little hesitant because mm -hmm. I thought, God, what, what can I offer? But what I did know, too, is that you asked me during Women's History Month, and I just made a commitment to um, you and the organization and to myself that I wanted to help people find their authentic selves and, mm -hmm. and be their authentic selves. And so I did. I have a, a little intro. And so I, I want to make sure that I put my disclaimers in here, right, too, right, but right. Um, that I am. I am here as one of your biggest fans. I listen to your podcast. I commute three hours every day, and I really believe the topic of mental health and self-care. We can't, we can't talk about that enough. Mm -hmm. um, we're all dealing with it or affected by it in some sort of way. And the other thing about your podcast is, you know, the whole comedian thing. I think <laughs> I'm pretty funny. <laughs> you are very funny. <laughs> My kids don't think I'm funny, but I think I'm funny. So <laughs> I crack myself up. So um, I am a first time guest and a long time listener. And, and here's my quick disclaimer. So the views, information, opinions, or ideas expressed during this conversation and the podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and uh, not necessarily reflective of the official policy or position of any entity, employer, or company. And additionally, these are all my personal opinions. And if you've got listeners out there that disagree with any of my opinions, I welcome feedback. Mm. Totally welcome feedback. Um, I think one of one of the things that I stand for is really understanding others' perspectives. And I want to hear and I want to learn. And that's why I listen to your podcasts and many others. Yeah, thank you so much yeah. for supporting me with this. I, I have to admit I was very nervous when I found out that you found out about it because... I share some not so graceful, glamorous stories on here that I, you know, so, um, but you are so encouraging and proud and just supportive of this. So um, I don't know a lot of corporate leaders that would have that reaction. Um, you just like embraced it with open arms. So thank you. Oh my well, you know what? It, my pleasure. And it, so I saw the look on your face <laughs> when I, I said, I think I oh, I heard you have a podcast. And like, I think all the blood left I think I your actually body. said, oh, no, out loud. <laughs> you did. You did say, oh, no. Um, and like, I, but here's the thing. Like, we're all human, mm -hmm. right? And everybody has got stories about um, their evolution and their life. And I think those are beautiful. I think storytelling is beautiful. It's it's therapeutic mm -hmm. um, for the individual and for the listener. And 
you know, it makes you much more interesting. Definitely. Um, right? Yeah. It's, it's, just it's something that's brought healing into my life and also others. So I look at it as a very positive thing. You're not always talking about yeah. the most glamorous things, but uh, it's helping others. So I, I think it's a good thing. Well, I want to just say a little bit more about the why I'm such a fan. Like, first of all, I'm so proud of you, oh, first and you. foremost, for um, taking care of yourself like you are. Uh, I've, you know, I've been on this roller coaster ride with you now, I feel like, you know, <laughs> we didn't, we have a professional relationship, right. but me getting to hear some of the intimate details of your struggles, right? Again, people can relate to them. You're helping, the way you're approaching it is helpful. Well, um, and the other thing is that, that you're offering some of my favorite episodes, you know, are the ones you, we talk about the tools and resources available and that, you know, we all have that power in ourselves. It's not always easy, mm -hmm. um, but I love to, to, to listen and also see you. Uh, you, you, your eyes are brighter. You're, you know, there's a spring in your step. Oh. There's uh, more passion there. And, and I think, you know, one of the, I was talking about the commitment I made around um, uh, Women's History Month mm -hmm. was helping people be their authentic selves. Right, and that is, and that this to me is just how you feel and how you appear is you're living your authentic uh, life mm -hmm. and you're 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 being the best possible Lindsay you can be and great things come with that, mm -hmm. like the universe, the universe has your back, man. Yeah, I, ha I have to tell a quick story because today, I was at Whole Foods and I realized that I lost my wallet and I like was in a panic and I freaked out. And I ran home and checked my whole house. I checked my car. I called here at the office and I asked a, man, a friend to look around for me. And I, in a moment, I just like, I took a deep breath, kind of said a little prayer. And um, I was like, okay, let me, let me kind of retrace my steps here. Where's the last place I was at? And I remembered I was actually at Whole Foods last night. <laughs> I, have a whole, I have a problem <laughs> with Whole Foods. And um, I was like, it could be there. So I called and talk to them and um, someone had turned it in and like my money was still all there, my cards. And I just feel like, I don't know, they, the universe has my back, <laughs> like you yeah. just said. And it's it's been showing in lots of ways. Um, that was a weird experience because I, in all honesty, I used to lose a lot of things when I was drinking, especially yeah. my cell phone. Um, towards the end, it was like a, a weekly thing. So um, I haven't had that happen yet in sobriety. So it was like, weird to be reminded of that feeling of like panic because I, I really have a you know a sense of ease and flow to my life in sobriety that's so uh, that's it there's a great book the universe has your back, back? yeah have you, have you I love it? that book yeah. I love that book too and so I get my commute I listen I think I'm up to 30 books over the last year wow. um, but on a lot of podcasts but that one is it is you have to listen to your life and that flow and I I'm all about signs mm -hmm. when, you know, something that you're, you're trying to, you could be trying to get a project through or you're trying to accomplish something personally and it just doesn't happen is if you just take a step back and go, okay, wait a minute, am I, am I trying to, to push something in the wrong direction right. and do I think about it differently and what's it trying to tell me? Yeah, yeah. totally. And so you mentioned that you listen to a lot of podcasts because you mm -hmm. have a long commute. What are some of your favorites out there? Ex um, except so for Soberland, of course, which yeah, is number one. So Soberland, number one. <laughs> uh, so... Um, I, oh gosh, uh, there are so many, but I went, I just did, uh, uh, the 10-part series on Oprah's, uh, okay. podcast, where she talks to Eckhart Tolle about the power of now mm. and the mindfulness that you need, uh, to have and, and how, um, you know, really 
how to be in the present moment and how that can open up so many possibilities. Mm. So if, if you haven't read Eckhart Tolle's books um, and or you've started it and it didn't really click, that's what happened for me. I read it, I, s I bought it maybe eight or nine years ago and mm -hmm. I just having a hard time connecting with it. But this time, and he says that even in the book, is if you're not connecting with it, you're not ready for this in oh your life yeah. right now. So that one's a great one. Um, Byron Katie has a, she's a, she's an interesting woman who um, was a miserable alcoholic, living in something you know somewhere in a in a dirty, dusty, hot town, and was just unhappy with her life. And one day she woke up and realized that she had the she could change it, mm. right? And so she's uh, she can. Um, she has a process called the Work Explore Question. So that she's a great podcast. She's got little snippets, and she's got longer podcasts that you can learn about, you know, the thoughts in your head and how they can infect your life. So again, another favorite, Tony Robbins. I never thought that I would mm -hmm. say that live, but I don't know if you saw the Netflix um, documentary called I think oh My no, Guru. Oh my gosh, it gave me a completely different perspective Let's on Tony Robbins. He's got some really great again tools, tricks. Just sort of the inspirational stuff you need, mm -hmm. and um, and then I do have you know I, I have a darker side. I gotta I call you say, out on yeah. your <laughs> no, and you know you did call me out I when I was it. telling you about my podcast. But there's this one called Crime Junkie yeah. I'm obsessed with, and <sighs> this I'm I'm so proud of that gal. Right, she was she's been obsessed with with she lives in Indiana, and she would uh, look into the she's she supporting Crime Stoppers or something, and she turned it into a, a podcast with her friend Britt, and. Um, that's a great one. It's now, I think, the seventh most popular podcast. Oh, she wow. Came out of, I would, in the last couple of months, she just exploded. That's and there's okay. just there's a weird fascination mm -hmm. for so many people, obviously, about these, these crimes, these mysterious crimes. And if you look at the top 100 pod podcasts, uh, you'll see a lot of a lot them of have crime. to do with true crime. Right. Yeah, it's like your guilty pleasure is crime yeah. podcast. Mine is reality TV. We all. Uh, well, ooh, <laughs> I also like reality oh TV, right. but that that I saved so the kids go to sleep and my husband dozes off and I. <laughs> <laughs> With a pint of ice cream <laughs> in the dark. <laughs> right. just, yeah. Binge watching. Uh, so you definitely seem very open to mental health talk. Mm -hmm. Like you were very, um, you know, immediately supportive of the podcast. Is that something that's always been a big thing in your life? Yeah. And so, yes. And I think this is I was going to tell uh, Lindsay how relevant this is in my life because of how I grew up. I yeah. mean, first of all, um, I grew up in a real California family. I mean, it is uh, sort of yours, mine, and ours, ultimately. I grew up with a, in a family with a lot of love, so mm -hmm. I will just caveat what I share with you, but mm -hmm. my dad is a psychiatrist, um, and he and my mother, uh, we lived in San Diego in a, in a town that was once, it was a, it's a, a different than today than it was, but it was really a little village, and it's called La Jolla, and it was a small town. Everybody knew everybody. My mom and dad were, um, you know, five kids. They taught marriage counseling at the, at the Catholic Church, the perfect family. Um, I was uh, the youngest. So I was an infant at the time mm -hmm. when my father left my mom in a pretty public way, uh, and mm -hmm. left her. She had five kids no college education, and he um, ran off with one of his patients, and they ended up getting married and, wow. and having another child. So, so that was something that changed everybody in my family's How life. How many siblings did you so have? I had, um, so I have 
five, five siblings. Okay. Wow, so it's a big uh, family too. Big family. Yeah. And the way it went was, you know, so was my dad moved to Northern California. Um, and uh, all of us could stay with my mom. Again, I was very young. My mom had a real uh, severe nervous breakdown. She tried to take her life. Wow. And my oldest brother found her, and um, I'm simplifying the story, mm-hmm. uh, and she, wa- she got help. I mean, my dad obviously had connections, and she actually came up here to L.A. Um, for an extended period of time, I think almost a year, um, and I was very young, so I don't remember any of this, but mm-hmm. it is a topic of conversation in our family um, to get the help that she needed. I think she went, um, really interesting story is that she was in a program at Cedar sinai and I think John Lennon was in it, too. This, oh, is, wow. the, this is our family mythology. So Who knows? So <laughs> L.A. And she tells me, um, I think it was, it was like primal screen therapy or something, and uh, she said she got kicked out because she wasn't getting better, and they're like, "You're not doing much, you know. Uh, you're not doing much for our numbers. We want to show oh how this gosh. is working, but it, it, it could really be high program. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> but uh, my mom loves to tell that story, and um, so that you know that d- depression, anxiety. When we we talk about you know why she would do that, she, she just felt so lost and alone, and she. This wasn't how her life was supposed to, to work out. Mm-hmm. Here she is married to a psychiatrist, right? And, right. and she can't figure out how to navigate that. Well, ultimately, um, and all of my siblings ended up moving to Northern California with my dad and mm-hmm. his wife. And they had a baby as well. Um, and I stayed with my mom. You were the only one? I was the only one. I was the only one that um, didn't have a custody battle over. But... And it, that was a hard thing to, to get my head around. Like, when I was uh, older and, and in my teens, I kinda, I'd go back and forth, and I always wondered in the back of my head, it's like, did I do something wrong? Like, he wanted all these other characters, and, you know, what about me? Mm-hmm. Later in life, my dad wrote me a letter to explain this to me, and, and that he, could, he couldn't do that to my mom. He saw my mom was already so devastated. Mm-hmm. So, so I got context for that. But there was a lot of back and forth. Well, a couple things happened um, later in, in my teens, and that was my little sister um, had passed away. She had bacterial meningitis, and she went overnight over Christmas oh in 1985. And my dad and, and stepmother were in the process of getting a divorce, and there was um, massive depression on my dad's side too. Like he couldn't get out of bed, he couldn't function. Wow. Um, and he had several bouts of that. And so if I think about, when I listen to your, you know, your stories and, and I understand the why you're struggling, I understand the why you're seeking, because growing up we, we were lucky enough to be able to talk about it. You know, mm-hmm. my brother always jokes is that we never got in trouble growing up. We got um, medicated and sent to bed, <laughs> right? You know? Yeah, I was going to say, did your dad kind of leave his work at work, or did he bring it home and kind right. of... I mean, he would literally bring it home. I mean, we would sometimes have patients that would come in the house, oh. people who were struggling with mental illness. Like, I was exposed to a lot. Wow. Or we'd go to the hospital with him on his rounds. And so, uh, it's the great thing about my dad to this day, right, is... Uh, and by the way, everybody's friends now. We, all yeah. the parents get together. Even oh, my dad and his uh, multiple ex-wives, we all... They all spend Christmas and Thanksgiving together. So we have a really, like I said, I had a lot of love growing up, mm-hmm. um, but I was exposed to a lot of depression. Mm-hmm. And um, I was exposed to a lot of talk and going on his rounds and, and seeing the, um, the folks 
struggle um, helped me process some of the things that I was dealing with, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So did he ever kind of like psychoanalyze the you and your siblings or did? Um, so, yes, my father would talk about everything. I mean, so I was a little bit of a wild child. You know, my mom ended up when I lived with her and my stepfather and some of his children growing up and I stayed in San Diego and I would sneak out. I would, you know, get into all kinds of trouble. When I look back and now I have kids that were my age mm -hmm. then and, and they would never do anything like this, but I can't believe I did. I would come in, say goodnight, leave. One night my mom came up and, and uh, was looking for me and uh, I think I snuck back in the house at six o'clock in the morning and she was livid, furious, so upset you know, you're in so much trouble, I'm calling your father. Mm. Well, my dad, you know, his approach to it was, you know, it was sit down and I had a, an hour of, of psychoanalysis. Mm -hmm. Tell me tell me why you did that. You know, did you consider the consequences of your actions? Did you, you know, was there something out there? You know, so there was a lot of introspection yeah. on anything. So wow. we all had psychoanalysis uh, through everything. And that's, that is good and bad. Mm -hmm. Right. Sometimes you just need a, a really slap clear on the wrist consequence. Yeah. Like if you do this, um, so it was. It was a. It that's was almost like a, a punishment that's like, you know, worth avoiding. Like, oh, I'm, if I do this and I get caught, I'm gonna have to sit with dad for an hour. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, and understand the why and talk through it. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah, you're right. It <laughs> is just like that is exhausting. Um, Did you have? Um, was it a lot of pressure for you to be the only one with your, your mother as she's going through like this basical, basically mental breakdown? Well, when she really suffered through her depression, I was so young, I didn't, oh, I didn't okay. recall. I think the harder thing is, was me going back and forth. Um, so I had a, a lot of the issues that I learned later that I had is that I had to be a chameleon mm -hmm. because in one house I had certain rules and, and behaviors and then I so wanted to be wanted by my dad and his wife and their rules. And so, you know, I was always walking on eggshells of, you know, I don't want to upset them. I, I, am I doing this right? Um, I really wouldn't even speak up mm -hmm. uh, for fear of, of causing, um, you know, to be too much. It was it hard, but I also, I had the same thing. You know, in retrospect, I couldn't leave my mom. I used to threaten her. I'd say, I'm going to go move in with dad, not really knowing if it was an option or not, but mm -hmm. if things got tense between us. Um, but I, I know she needed me. Yeah. And she, um, she's, so, she's so amazing, you know, what she's been through and what she does that I really, um, I just, I loved her. And she put herself through college and she ended up being the primary breadwinner. And, you know, my stepfather always had some new scheme that he was going to go after. And you know, had financial problems. And so my mom just picked up, stayed married. They're still married today, almost almost 45 years. And so, but she did this and I couldn't leave her. And I learned so much from her and I'm so proud of her that, mm. uh, yeah, she's really, she's, when people ask me who my inspiration is, I say my mom. So. Uh, yeah, I bet you guys have a really special yeah. relationship. So then um, where did you end up going to, to college? So, um, where I, I, I was not a great student until I woke up one day uh, about 11th grade and I'm listening to all my 
friends talk about you know, colleges and universities and, and where they are going. And I had uh, been much more social. That was my thing. Um, so I woke up and I actually just turned it around. I just decided that I was going to be a good student and get involved. And I did. And I ended up going to Colorado. So I didn't have as many options. A lot of my friends in high school went to Ivy Leagues. Mm. Um, and or you know some small liberal liberal arts college on the East Coast that I you know had kind of dreamed of going to. I ended up going to Colorado State University because I got an academic maturation scholarship. A maturation? So what that is, is that a, that's an interesting word. I, I learned <laughs> that, and um, they basically it was a way for them to get students from out of state to come in mm -hmm. to the university. And um, they paid, and it was very expensive to go out of state. Mm -hmm. And I had all the choices here in California, but this idea of me going away like all my friends were was uh, very glamorous to me and couldn't wait to get out and start to live my life. So I went to Colorado State University for two years, and I and studied communications, and I loved it. I loved it. And my dad was, was going through a depression, um, and his, his depression always has to do with finances. I think he was he's terrified uh, to this day, I think, mm -hmm. of, of uh, being poor. And he always did well, but he would work, 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 and feel like he didn't have anything for it. So that would trigger a depression for him. And he had gotten his divorce and was um, living with my uncle down in Laguna Beach. And one day he called and he said, I, I, I can't pay for you anymore. And he said, the scholarship's great, but it you know, you've got all these public schools here apply so I applied to UC and and I went ended up going to loving and graduating from UC Santa Barbara okay so you transferred like was that mm -hmm. like midway through or midway something? through yeah. it was really uh -huh. it, yeah and I remember being so victimized by this but it was one of the best things I ever did it's mm -hmm. where I met my the man I'm married to today oh really in yeah. college okay. yeah I met him in college we didn't date in college but we're married today okay and so then what happened next? Did you have like a start internships once you graduated? So um, I actually, as soon as I graduated from college, I went and followed the surf tour um, the surf around Europe. What? Everybody, isn't <laughs> that not crazy? That. I know. And nobody does. Um, I, had, uh, I had been dating a guy who was going to Europe. So I went with two of my girlfriends and I thought, I'll just catch up with him after. So we did six weeks of traveling. We caught up with him in Biarritz, and he convinced me. And I had a credit card called the ExecuCharge that, that taught me a lot about interest rates and, <laughs> and <laughs> finance and debt. Wow. And I said, oh, yeah, I can stay, and I'll just, you know, I'll, I'm going to move back to Northern California when I get back. Called my dad. My dad said, honey, if this is what you want to do and this makes you happy, then do this, you know. But when you get back, it's, you, you have to, to start the grown-up world. So I did that until October 17, 1989. Um, we traveled. Um, we got to work. I made money. Um, and uh, we were in London. We went to visit in London, and we got, we got robbed. Um, I had five pounds in my pocket. And that, so it was the 16th of October, I... Um, got the next morning. It was kind of pretty traumatizing mm -hmm. uh, what had happened, and we were we were mugged. I guess uh, is okay. not robbed, but but mugged. And I called my dad and I said I want to come home. And literally got a ticket that day. It, it I remember the date because it was the big earthquake in Northern California. Oh wow! Yeah, 
A lot happening that day. A lot happening that day, <laughs> yeah. So then you came back to California, yeah. and then did you start your career then? So my dad, um, I had all my mail transferred to, and I was, my dad said I could live with him. I had plans to, he was living in a town called Los Gatos, uh, which is outside of San Jose in okay. Silicon Valley, and I, had, I was going to move to San Francisco, but I needed to save money. Well, he opened my credit card statement, on the execute charge, mm -hmm. and it was $3,000. And he said, you're not going to go look for a job in San Francisco. You're going to get a job tomorrow. And he sent me to an employment agency. Oh, wow. And so a little interesting fact about me is that, um, again, I'm, I'm just full of all kinds of surprises, but I was a total computer nerd in in high school and college. This like is my like in the 80s? Yeah. Were there computers? There were very few, <laughs> and they were very expensive. And wow. so... We had had, I think it was an Apple IIe, and that, it, it like opened up so many possibilities for me. And I think it, it helped me with uh, my studies. Now, keep in mind, it, they're, they're nothing like. You basically could word process, and, you know, I had all these little floppy disks. But mm -hmm. I just thought Apple was the coolest computer uh, uh, in the world. It changed how I could express myself. I, I write out journals, and there wasn't really an Internet or anything. Right. Anyway. That was, so I just thought that was such a cool company. It never occurred to me that I could go work there. Um, but I, when I'd gotten back, I had to go get a job. I went to a temp agency, and you know, I'm, I'm basically in the heart of Silicon Valley. And they actually, next day I had a job being the assistant to the CEO of a company that made semiconductors. Oh, my gosh. And I was an incredible typer because I had my, you know, I word pro I was, I just taught myself that and I taught it through college and I would type people's papers for them. Um, so it made me really good at my job. The CEO's uh, assistant was out, so I served as that. And he was so, he would ask me, this is, I learned a lot from him and leadership too, is he's like, what do you want to do? Like, what are you passionate about? And I was like, oh, wow. You know, I, I, like my dream would be to go work at One Infinite Loop at Apple, but I want to go up to San Francisco and, you know, I, and, and I have a degree in communications. And he said, oh, well, you know what? I'm, I want to start a, a communications team here. And there was already one guy doing it, and it was so technical, and they were trying to sell all their products to the um, semiconductor companies. They needed someone to take all the, the technical jargon mm -hmm. and translate it into brochures and English and things that that the, the um, that those people making the purchasing decisions you know you're gonna pay a million dollars for semiconductor test mm -hmm. then you sure as heck better understand you yeah. better be able to explain kind it of to in me like regular lingo what it is yeah and I'm telling you it was such a gift for me to have that experience not only I had a champion in the CEO but I had an opportunity to really understand deep technology, but be able to explain it in sort of duckies and goats. And that really formed the basis of my future career is that those complicated issues, I could simplify into mm -hmm. really um, yeah, basic concepts that people could get their head around and get around and rally around. So, so were you always super motivated to be a leader and to get a, have a successful job? Or what was your you're like thinking then so and i'm thinking everything stems from childhood right right so <laughs> unfortunately yeah right <laughs> so all of those you know i had a fear i mean 
that day that that my dad was waving the you know he never he never got mad at me before but he was you know when it came to financials that was his fear mm. and With so that credit card bill that credit card uh. bill like he's then I saw it all. It's like, what are you going to do? How are you going to support yourself? Like his, he just threw it all on me. My mom struggled financially growing up mm. for me, you know, and I saw that. So that is an interesting trigger that I had, that I was motivated by fear. And I got this temp job to make money. They offered me a job that no one else would want. And so they paid me a lot more. So that was uh, that was good. That was my whole motivation. Mm -hmm. In um, I was fear driven throughout my twenties in my career because I ended up then taking the jobs that paid the most. Or you know, I remember I had another job offer and the job offered me more money to stay, even though I wasn't necessarily happy. I was just I, I just I didn't have a, a horizon as much as thinking that money was the answer. Financial security mm -hmm. was really the driver for mm -hmm. you. Okay. But um. it's funny how that works. I did, ultimately, that led me to my dream job. Mm -hmm. You know, because I got to work with uh, this power PC group, I got my job at Apple. Um, and then somebody called me and I that took me to my, and I worked so hard and I didn't know anything about public relations. I remember I, I just, I sold myself in because I knew so much, I could, I could talk the talk, mm -hmm. but they're like, okay, write a press release. I turned in my press release the next day and my boss called me, he's like, what, what, what is this? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I, is it a press release? It was on the, it was the, I think it was the first anniversary. Well, there was no, oh, Google. Right, no Google. Okay, so. I mean, how scary is that? Oh like that th the resources everyone has at their fingertips right now where you can educate yourself on a YouTube video. Yeah. Th I went to a bookstore and I bought every book. I stayed up all night. I rewrote that press release. And it actually was I think one of the um I guess there was something about the the release getting the most traction and getting picked up by the most outlets that they had. Um, and it really, you know, it was like one was, phew, oh, my God, I'm not going to get fired. And the other one was like, oh, okay. I'm, I'm good at this. I'm good at this. <laughs> yeah. I get it. I, you know, and I, I did some unconventional things that they don't normally do. And I added a photo to the press release. Isn't it so funny how mm -hmm. none of it, like, these were new innovations yeah. back in my day. That's how old I am. <laughs> so, so you started in the PR, your PR career with Apple. Mm -hmm. And then when did you move to well, I followed. I followed a man. Oh right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, we all do that. At, we, I feel like at one we, point. <laughs> we did. I gave up my dream job because somebody. Um, uh, I had met the summer intern. He he. Was uh, going to school in Boston. He was getting uh, his MBA in Boston, and I started dating him over the summer. And then when he went back to Boston, and a job opportunity. Uh, arose uh, in the PC industry. It was very different than Apple. Mm -hmm. It was very Apple versus PC um, to help turn around a company um, that had, had just laid off tens of thousands of people. Was this the offer for him or for you? This is for me. For you. Okay. And so I'm like, well, he's there. I'm there. I'm going. I, you know, I don't know what this job's all about. I, I, I'd worked with the folks before. And so I packed up my things. Never lived outside of California. Went so to Boston Apple to go to Boston mm -hmm. to work for a company um, that uh, was called it was called Deck Digital Equipment <laughs> Corporation. 
you probably never heard no. of it, but it was I've one of the Apple biggest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. That one is still around. But this is a company that was on its last leg, laid off tens of thousands of people and had to reinvent itself. Again, it was a great experience for me. Um, and then that company was acquired by Compaq, which was eventually acquired by uh, HP. So I was, oh. I, was, I was big in the technology uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, industry. But I went to Boston to really, because I thought this was the man I was going to marry. I mean, he was perfect on paper. There was definitely some issues. You know, he didn't laugh. Um, we were watching Seinfeld, and everyone was laughing, and he was like, what's so funny? And I'm like, <gasps> Deal really? breaker. <laughs> what? Well, but here's the thing. I was like, well, it's okay. You know, and I kept sort of compromising, because he was, he on paper, and, and yeah, with everything. Yeah, but that's everything. a huge thing if you it's don't find Larry David well, hilarious. Right? You have no personality. I'm sorry and if you're listening, and you, think <laughs> <laughs> you don't agree with this. Seinfeld so. is the funniest show that was ever created. It was, wow. yeah, and and that was I. I will never forget that moment. I thought, mm. oh, that's okay. Again, big sign, red yeah. flag. Um, but but did that. Um, and then he ended up moving back to the Bay Area, so I moved back to the Bay Area. Uh, and that, you know, I, I was chasing something that, and really trying to make it work. So mm -hmm. I'll tell you, this was a theme in my life. I was like, you, no one's going to reject me. I'm going to prove myself. You're going to, I'm in. And I, I would do it in my work, which I was obsessed with. I would say I was definitely a workaholic. Um, I just, I, I, I worked constantly. I was not even an interesting person. Um, and then I was going to make this particular relationship work because I thought, you know, then I have the perfect life. Right. And it ended badly. Oh no, um, and he, he was, uh, he had an affair. And I, and I, and I saw it firsthand. And it was devastating to me. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was, um, it was, a I look back now and I was like, oh, silly, silly you, Amy. I, you know, I wish I could go back and tell you everything's going to be okay. But and you had to go through it and learn. I had to go through it. And, you know, it was really, really, um, that, that one took a long time to get over. And I, I was searching for that next perfect person. And, um, for a long time, but I was hanging out with my old friend from college, oh, yeah. this guy, that we would go to karaoke every Friday night, we'd talk about it. He said I was always talking about somebody else or this other guy I was dating, and you know, it turned out that everything I was looking for was right there next to me, but it took me to really figure that out. I had to write it down yeah, when, when I, I'm looking at it. What did you realize? So you know, there's there, there there's a lot under it, but um, I had he like Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> he, laughed he, he laughed at, at my jokes. Okay, so no, what it was is I I was really lost after that because I thought I had this perfect plan for my life, mm -hmm. and that had really it just ripped the rug out from under me. I look back and I uh, and again I say I, I I questioned my judgment at the time, but what I did do is I wrote down what I wanted, what I felt like I deserved. And that was like the, f the first time that I realized when you're really, really clear about something, you can, you can manifest it or, or at least recognize it. How detailed did you get, like even physical? Like yeah, I did. I mean, I want to say it was, it like was sort of like tall, dark, and tall, right? Because if I'm going to have kids, I don't want them to be, you know, teeny like me. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, but, you know, a sense of humor, kind, 
um, generous and non-judgmental and you know accepts me for me all the things that I had compromised in my my previous relationship that I realized that would give me peace and here's a guy who for years were hanging out let me be me and yeah. and I enjoyed it that's and a great idea to write down the qualities oh, of I'm exactly what you. you want because that way yes. you're not just going to accept whoever just comes along because you're alone or whatever you're lonely you actually have something specific you're looking for. That's a great, yeah. I want to do that. Well, it is. You know, okay, so people laugh at vision boards, but that's that's what that is. A husband vision board. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But you know what it is? It helps you weed out. This is what I love about your podcast, just listening about your dating life, you know. Yeah. I, I get very invested in this. But um, you, if you don't know who you are and what you stand for, then, you know, you'll go down some wonky paths yeah. with people and you know i think about your date night you know the guy wanted to go splitsville oh uh, gosh, on the check horrible. i was i was horrified for you um but hey what i was proud of you is that you're like no yeah. it's not going to work for me but there's more to it than that what is going to work for you and that is i mean helpful. some people may think this is old school but like i wanted to be i want to be courted in a way like yeah. i want to be treated well and shown that you're actually putting in you some do. effort and yeah i need to write this down on my list you do <laughs> I, i'm telling you and and i would say that's true for anything in your life yeah. you know so the the more clarity the more clarity i got around my so before I, I skip ahead is, you know, so there he was, and I thought I looked at him differently one day. We actually went on a, a a road trip. We decided I had made a lot of money. I was very lucky in the, you know, there was a the Silicon Valley days. I was I, I had established myself financially, and I had literally worked from the day I got back from that surf tour um, until there was another startup um, that I had worked with, and they were moving back to France and I had the opportunity to move back to France but here I was staring at a man that I thought oh this is a, a compromise I'm willing to make and so that and I knew I was fine financially and there was a ton of jobs that I could take we went on a six-week road trip and just the across two across the United States I never traveled just the two of us wow. jumped in my car went um all the way to the East Coast. I had never been to Disney World. I don't know why that was a fascination <laughs> to me, but I'm like, that's what I want to do. You know, I had had in my career an op opportunity to travel all over the world. So I thought the United States would be a fun adventure. And he quit his job. He was quitting his job too. And, and he's like, well, let's do it. And we did. And I actually had a job at that. I had already had a job offer when I was on the road. That's how they were just passing out jobs like, wow. like big gulps. <laughs> and um, and that we had a there was a little car accident, but everything about it, we were comfortable together. We went through this trauma together in a car accident. Um, I just like we lit we we just fell deeply. In love. We were best friends that fell deeply in love, yeah. and it was just the best thing that ever happened to me. So he he ended up waiting for uh, the car to be fixed. It was a sob that we crashed in Tennessee, and they kept saying, oh, it'll be done tomorrow, it'll be done tomorrow. We called it a sab, so that should have been my first indication. <laughs> they don't even know what's going on. So it ended up, like, he ended up having to fly back and, and pick up the car, but needless to say, that was um, 
my epiphany. And we actually, what we did, this was during the dot-com bubble, and um, we, he and I and my brother decided we were going to be our own dot-com millionaires, and we started our own company. And so not only had I decided, like, this is the perfect man, then we were also going to be bazillionaires by starting our own yeah. our own dot-com. So that was what brought me down to Southern California. Okay. So how did that company work out? So this was, a, a, I'm sure, um, now we're getting to about the time you were born, I think. So. I was born in 88. <laughs> okay, oh, good. All right, yeah. so this is, this is <laughs> like, like 99 now? years. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we, it was the dot-com craze. Uh, we were we, we got in a little late. The company went really well. We were number one in our space of e-commerce websites for small businesses. So you could click and build them. So they have these. They're a dime a dozen. Oh, now. like but Squarespace? This is, is that yes. kind of what you did? So if you wanted to start your own website, you could oh. go to ogali.com. You're like way ahead of the times. Uh, this is the story of my life. <laughs> so <laughs> What are you so working on now yeah, that right? I can get in on? <laughs> So, so yeah, we pre-populated the sites. We'd write your marketing because there was uh, people were spreading fear that the that all brick and mortar was going to shut down, and if you didn't have a website, you were going to lose out. And all these small businesses, it, it would seem like an expensive proposition. And we made it super easy, and we gave them away for free, which is a really bad business model. How did you make money? Well, that <laughs> they're in like like during the time of the craze. It's like people you. You th that when we were raising money for this company, people weren't asking that. It was all about eyeballs, right? It's like page views, eyeballs. And um, we did eventually add an e-commerce engine that you had to pay for. But I also ran a call center of, um, of internet, uh, what, did, what did we call them? They were internet coaches that could help you um, design your website. So we, 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 there was a way to monetize the business. And we eventually got it to break even. But at this point, you know, uh, the, there was all the funding had dried up. Um, the, the dream of, of making a bazillion dollars were over. We actually turned down an offer of $35 million for the company. Now, granted, it was a, it was a stock offer because mm -hmm. um, we thought we were worth so much more. But... I'll just say we closed that up quietly. I think I, I spent my own money writing uh, the final paychecks for everybody. It was really sad. It was devastating, actually. Wow. And so devastating that I like I basically just went into the fetal position. I was living down in Orange County and just thought my life was over. I was in my early like 30s. Exhausting too, like it, it, it was physically exhausting, too. It was physically exhausting, emotionally exhausting, um, and that whole fear that I had, both from a financial from that anxiety standpoint to a um, to, to my concern about people wanting me or, or needing me or you know being part of something that whatever all those childhood things came bubbling mm. right back up and and so you know my husband immediately started pursuing his dream he knew what he wanted to do and he partnered with our former general counsel and they went and started raising uh, money for a uh, hotel and, and restaurant, and that's what he yeah. really—that's what he was passionate Hos about doing. About and hospitality. Yep, and yeah. it was so easy for him. And I was sitting there thinking, "Oh my God, what am I going to do? I'm a failure." No, you're not. I know, but see, those moments in your life where you think—you can only see the what's happening right what's now. What's there, and you yeah. think that is just—you know—this is going to define me for the rest mm -hmm. of my life. 
So this is when I really just started to apply. Like, I actually got super spiritual at this point. I was like, snap out of it. And what I did when I was looking for the right man, I did for the right job. I wrote, what talents do I have? I wrote them down and said, what, you know, what do I have to offer? And when you write it down, you're like, oh, okay, wait a minute. So I, I do have a lot to offer. What am I passionate about? So I had all this technology experience. Mm -hmm. I was, this is pre-reality uh, TV, except maybe um, the real world. Hasn't The Bachelor been on for like 35 years? Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, no, it has. That is, that is what the, it is. Yeah, the real world. That yeah. was an original. Real world and Bachelor at this point. And I was, but I was fascinated by the entertainment industry. Like I always envisioned myself working for the studios. So after a lot of um, inner soul searching and lots of self-help book reading, and that's uh, when I learned to meditate. I was doing yoga on the beach because um, I was, you know, I, I just was beating myself up Isn't a lot. Isn't that crazy? Like the times where the lowest, we're just the desperate is when we finally start to take care of ourselves. <laughs> it's, it's terrible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's, you know, and, and I think, again, when you think the universe has your back, it's also a blessing. It's yeah. like sometimes you got to hit rock bottom before you realize what's important. Mm -hmm. And so that was, that just changed everything. I wrote out a, uh, a woman interviewed me and she's like, yeah, I think you've got an interesting background, but I don't need you. Yeah, thanks very, and I went back, sat in front of my iMac and I pounded out. <laughs> Do you have a picture of what it's like to grow up in the 90s and the 2000s? Use my iMac and just from my heart told her all the reasons why she had to hire me and that how she could use her talents with my talents. I don't know where it came, it was almost like it was, it was divine. I just wrote this down. The next day, she uh, I emailed her the letter, and she's like, get up here. I, uh, this is the best letter I've ever. You're right. Wow. How could I have been so short-sighted? And she hired me. And we're one of my closest friends to this day. Oh, still? Yeah. That's so cool. Yes, it is. So what company was that? That was at Edelman. That's a huge PR It is now. Like and this is, again, right, this was in 2000 <laughs> 2001. It's right before 9-11. Um, I started a month before 9-11, and um, it was it was an incredible experience um, to get there. And then it was not, you know, it was Edelman is 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 much bigger, well known um, today. But everything about that company and what it stood for and its values and its um, support of of entrepreneurial thinking and innovation and the idea that I could write a business plan in a page and a half letter of and and when I got there, uh, my boss and Richard Edelman said, yeah, here, go ahead, do it. And we started the digital entertainment rights and technology practice. And we helped connect technology companies with uh, the entertainment companies because they didn't want to talk to each other. The, the radio or the music companies were suing their customers because they didn't want them accessing their, uh, their content wow. digitally. Now they can't live without each other. Isn't that like isn't it um, amazing? So right. we were trying to get them to sit around a table and agree. You're like a, a psychic. <laughs> you can see the future. You can see the future. I feel like I I have always people have asked me like tell me about your career and I'm like I feel like I'm the feather in the Forrest Gump movie right like if have you seen that is movie that, is that like a glimpse into his future what is the no feather the feather represent? is like it always it it represents him he always ended up in these really unbelievable historic moments oh. 
in the movie. If you go back and watch it, you look at it, and it just so that feather is like, oh, look, I'm here. I'm working at you know at Apple. It's just and kind of happened. It's the flow of your life. The flow of my life, yeah. and that it always like if to have faith that it just would bring me to where I'm supposed to be, mm. and surround me with people like that get me, mm-hmm. or and then if I'm not in that environment, it corrects itself, right? Yeah. So. Um, and that's, you know, sometimes it's hard to keep that connection or that that faith. Um, but if you can hold on to it and just know, that's, th- so that was my journey. My journey at Edelman was, it was life-changing. Everything about it, it was confidence building. Um, it was hard. I, w- I, I had two kids during that time. Mm. And I didn't see them a lot when, because um, I was so committed to my, when you talk about addiction, like I had a serious work addiction because it somehow felt like it defined me um mm. i don't know somehow felt it did define me i got a lot of my self-worth from work um and and that's what pushed me so i was worked the longest or you know i was happy to travel wherever uh and do you feel like that's changed for you today um i still i i don't have any hobbies Except if you, you know, I've read everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I've listened to every podcast <laughs> I think out there. Uh, I still think I get a lot out of it, but I don't. I don't let it define me anymore. And and that was a that was a hard thing to do. And I think kids changed that for me. Yeah, it's hard to to not when it's a huge part of your life. It, it yeah. like it takes up all of your time. How yeah. can it not? Like it does. And and you can't. I rem- I worked so that journey took me to to. I ended up. With the digital entertainment practice, I took on Starbucks uh, Entertainment, and Starbucks Entertainment. Yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> so uh, it's a it's a little bit of a long story, but if you read the book onward, it, it'll explain that Starbucks lost focus uh, for a while. I, I I I had a strong hand in this because they were selling. Um, they had acquired a company called Hear Music, and the, all the big box retailers were shutting down. And it was like the days of being able to go and have your music curated by the guy at, at Tower Records. That was a thing for me growing <laughs> up, <laughs> just so you know. Um, they were over, so Tower Schultz was like, oh, our baristas will be curators of music and film. We're going to... So Starbucks Entertainment. And... We actually, um, I think we did more, Edelman did more work for them on the entertainment side for two years. So I got to run that business because this was going to transform the business. And I, I was ac- eventually asked to also take over the coffee business. And I, and I, again, this is, it's a crazy thing, but I got to run the global Starbucks business oh and their God. CSR and their so PR. You and you are I'd the reason there's a Starbucks every three blocks. <laughs> no, that you, that's <laughs> definitely them and their development team. But, you know, listening to what people wanted from Starbucks. Like, I was there at the the growth time where there were jokes were that they were across the street from each other. Yeah. I think those jokes are back again. But They're everywhere. It's crazy. But about 2006, Starbucks was the canary in a coal mine. Like, we saw the downturn in the economy that was coming in 2008 because people stopped spending their extra cash on coffee. Hmm. And you're like, well, wait a minute. So... I mean, literally, the business fell off a cliff. Well, there were a whole new, you know, when things go wrong, new, there are numerous reasons for it. In that particular case, um, I think uh, Howard thought it was a, uh, a PR issue. And then we got under the hood, and we were able to determine that it, it was not. It was remembering who you are and what you stand for and what made you great to begin with. Again, this is a great lesson I learned that so applies personally and professionally. Yeah. yeah. 
And he was the one. Did you have them make a list of what they want to be? <laughs> <laughs> the great news is, yes, they had they had these green apron. It was like the green apron values or something. But we actually did a brand blueprint where we were like, what do you want people to say about you? Well, then or how are you behaving? You had passionate partners. And it was about your coffee. It was about the experience, right? Mm -hmm. So we did something called the brand blueprint. And the, they eventually got to the transformation agenda, which was a really clear way. But knowing who you are and getting back to your, you know, your soul, mm -hmm. your purpose on this earth, then the flow comes. And I really believe that in any, any company and any experience. And then, then you put in an action plan to turn the company back around. I mean, I think the stock was down to $7 at the point. People were talking about that Starbucks is uh, uh, long past relevant, and it, uh, you probably won't see it in the future. They just written it off. It was insane. But I worked for that man. Howard Schultz was determined and clear, and he knew, and he went and, you know, with a really clear plan to turn it around and take back who Starbucks was and why people should love them and remind people why they love them. And so I got to be part of that. That was so fantastic. Cool. It was so cool. But he was one person. He had it's a story where we, we were probably going to lose the business, and I I begged him. I literally begged him on a, an airplane, told him all the reasons why, again, I had written down here, you, you can't fire us. I had just made this commitment to all the – all the offices around the world at, at Edelman, and I told him, and we had been on a plane together, and when we got off the plane, he looked at me, he says, well, don't worry about it. And then after, uh, he said, if you can accomplish this, this, and this, don't, don't, you'll, you'll be fine. Well, we accomplished it, and I coincidentally got on an elevator with him up to um, the floor we were on, and he, uh, I said, you know, we got the results back, and we had accomplished what we set out to do, and he said, that's good. And he also said, you know, this is, this is personal. Business is personal. It's not, you can't separate it. And he goes, and I see that. He, like, he saw how much we cared, and that mm -hmm. mattered, too. We cared about the people. We cared about the business, and that's what he cared about. He really, really cares about the partners in the restaurant. Um, I, I, I gosh, uh, he really is one of the greatest. He... That experience changed my life. I had a lot of good mentors, but watching him put the words and actions together and change people's lives. Yeah, so it wasn't just about making money. No. It was much mm -hmm. deeper than that. Yeah. And in fact, he'll tell you when they started, that's when they got off path because it was all going to be about the money. But when they got back to you know, the, the heart and soul of what it is, and that's that the outcome was the financial success. Mm. It's not the destination. It's so true. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So that's awesome. And then, um, so you're obviously not still there, working there. <laughs> no, that that opportunity. Um, and I not. And when so my daughter asked me, next? yeah, what what happened next is my daughter asked me if I was going to be going on vacation with them. And this is after 2011. The book was written. You know, the six, the, the victory lap that Starbucks was back is great. And I was exhausted. And my boss said. My boss, Richard Adelman, said, hey, um, you know, take a year off. But, you know, like, don't go away. Take what you learned and let's apply it. And not, not two weeks later, I, um, I met somebody, uh, the CMO from Taco Bell. And I thought, oh, they were being sued for not having beef in their beef. And 
it was a brand I loved. And I said, you need me. Like, I just did this whole thing at Starbucks. And if you did the same thing. So I got in, ended up meeting the CEO, Greg Creed, another hero of mine. And I was there for five years. And we turned around that company wow. with, with the same thing, by getting the values down, being clear what we stood for. And, you know, and, and, and fighting for uh, a clear understanding uh, that we had great food and that we took care of it and we took care of our team members. I love that two weeks into your year vacation, <laughs> you, found, you found another right? job. <laughs> I know. But again, it was seven miles from my house. Yeah. I didn't even know Taco Bell was based in Orange County and it was just like one of those fluky things. Yeah, it was, um, I, again, I don't know what to do with myself. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I totally understand that. So, wow, that's so cool. So and at uh, Taco Bell, I'm not a good stone polisher. When things are all good and there's nothing to do, and um, then it was I had an opportunity to look around and CEO here mm -hmm. said there's another turnaround and somebody had told her about me and we talked and um, and the rest is history and mm -hmm. I'm here today and that's it's been an incredible incredible journey. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing and I know that definitely more recently we've really put in like really emphasize the values of this company mm -hmm. and, and like so I see that same pattern happening here and that's great yeah um, <laughs> one thing I'm curious about is like right now we have like there's a rise of with feminism and we're seeing more and more women in positions of power and authority but like that wasn't always the case and so I'm wondering what kind of patterns and things that you've seen or experienced in in your career because you've been a leader with huge companies for a very long time so you know, um, I w particularly growing up in the technology industry, I was I was oftentimes the only woman. Wow. And I think I don't I don't you know I, I have to think about what that taught me, but it as long as I had a boss or I felt like somebody had my back or the team members you know that th there was trust in that group is. I don't, and maybe I just came out that way. Is is, and maybe it's because I never spoke up growing up, and that was something I was determined to change. Is that I felt very comfortable um, speaking up. Mm -hmm. Now, so I did not, particularly the first ten years of my career, I, I, I didn't have any female role models, or did I get to, you know, I think there was. I'm going to say names that you're not even going to know, but I mean we'll see. <laughs> too. So I remember, like, I was fascinated with Elizabeth Dole. Okay, I don't know. Who that is. <laughs> Somebody should Google her. Elizabeth, okay. who is she? <laughs> She's a former politician. Um, God, I, was, I don't even remember. Was she? She was married to Bob Dole, who was a presidential uh, candidate. And I think she was secretary of something. But I remember like taking this early fascination with her. But like, I would I would latch on to women and see like. How do they behave? What you know? What what do they do? Because once you you know, when you're in deep technology, um, you don't. It, it didn't matter, right? It, 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 that people just thought I was sort of like this fascinating being. I was as the only female. But getting to Apple and then moving into the industry, um, I I had exposure to very strong women, great role models, but none of them were in leadership. Like senior leadership, yeah. they were in, in the boardroom, and I finally, when I went to Boston and I worked for this company, that I finally met a C-suite female leader, and we got we went on press tour together and we did all of these great things. And I remember we were so odd. This memory just 
uh, came into my head, but she, I wish I could remember her name, but we went to Mimi's Cafe in Newport Beach. After, for some reason, we had a meeting down there, and she was sitting across from me, and I said, you know, you're so awesome. You're so strong, and I love to watch you work. Like, you know, you're, you're, I, I so admire you for your strength, and she sat there at the table, and she just started bawling. I was wow. like, oh my god, <laughs> you know, it was this. It it so it actually just and I and I was like, what, you know? And she she took me through all of the self doubts in her head. And I'm looking at her, and I was like, no, like that's not true at all. None of none because of it. She wasn't treated maybe fairly. The she stuff she had to go through, yeah. and the stuff that she, you know, the stuff that she heard because she was she was really strong and powerful at her job. But she didn't believe in herself. She, I said, nobody knows what you're thinking. I remember saying that to her, like, you know, don't don't cry. It's okay. But that is, you know, it's, it was tough. It, it was tough. It's and it's it's not any better. I mean, you still look at Fortune 500. You you, you look at. Um, I, have a, I have a friend now who I worked with at Starbucks, and now she's the CEO of Kohl's. She's a huge inspiration to me. But she fought hard. Mm. She she worked. You know, she made a lot of sacrifices to get where she is. It's harder for women. Um, I think you have to work harder. It's also, it's just if you're different, it's harder. If you have a different way of thinking. Yeah. Um, I think the inclusion conversation. So, yeah, the rise of feminism is good, but I think what's better is the rise of, um, of taking on unconscious bias and and embracing inclusion and really being accepting and appreciating people who are different, who have different ideas, who think differently, right? right? I, I actually enjoy sitting down with people who have a completely different um, opinion. Now, they have to be willing to engage and have a conversation because I think, actually, you can come to a much better solution when you've got different people around the table mm -hmm. and who believe in um, being always better, right? It's like, right. okay, so wait, you mean I could do it this way, you would do it this way. Well, what... What can we do together to make it that much better? That's why it's so important. And I think that's why it's important. California's legislating women uh, in the boardroom now. Great. Good. Sorry it had to be forced as an issue. Um, but I think we'll start to see smarter, thoughtful, more compassionate, um, stronger uh, boardrooms, stronger performance, more female leaders. So it's exciting for me, yeah. um, but I'm old and tired. <laughs> <of that. laughs> You're like, can someone else take over now? <laughs> so, no, and I'm excited, and I do. I still, you know, I'm going to work for the next 20 years, yeah. and I'm going to, you know, whatever I'm going to do is I, I want to help other, um, uh, I want to help other women ha find their voice and, and, and be strong and be empowered and take care of themselves and um, that's important, but I would say I want to do that for people who might feel like they don't have a voice mm -hmm. too. Yeah, totally. And uh, you've opened up to me about that you have struggled with anxiety a little oh, bit, and yeah. that's something that I, I know a lot of people do, and I, I do as well. Um, and I've just been learning in my sobriety a lot about myself personally, and my anxiety has become a little bit more clear to me. Um, for me personally, I I have a problem with social anxiety, which I, Looking back, I remember as a child being really shy and introverted and feeling really uncomfortable in social situations. And I think that's one of the first reasons I reached out to alcohol to cope and deal yeah. with that. And so now 
in sobriety, I'm noticing it more. Like I've been going to, um, I've mentioned on the podcast, a lot of AA meetings and, uh, I was doing 90 meetings in 90 days, which is like a I lot think of and I, I know. And I was so excited oh to hear you were God. doing that. It's so many meetings and it's just for someone that has severe social anxiety, it's all like, it just, it's so much energy to meet new people every day and make conversations and sometimes share in big groups. And it's just been like exhausting. And so I've kind of, the last week it got to the point where it was doing more harm than good for me I felt like I was just leaving the meetings like wanting to drink almost because I was so embarrassed by what I had said and just Mm -hmm. so much energy was expended and I kind of uh the last few days have taken a break I haven't gone to a meeting in like four days and I was talking to my therapist about this and she kind of gave me a different perspective to look at it as like like a prescription medicine sometimes you have to tweak the dosage and so now yeah. I'm in a place mm-hmm. where I'm like, okay, maybe I'll do five meetings a week. That's still a lot, but like every single day. And so, um, can I ask you a question? Yeah. What, I, what about, um, so I have a, a different type of anxiety, but mm-hmm. so uh, tell me about, tell me about what goes through your head. What is, what's the voice in your head telling you when you are in an environment in which you're uncomfortable? I think I have, I mean, the, the basis of anxiety is really fear. So I have a f- lot of fear that of what people are thinking of me, the way I look, the way I'm sounding. I just have like this, this pressure to be like constantly on when I'm speaking with someone. Mm-hmm. I think that's what maybe why I pursued stand-up and performing is because I like when I'm communicating with someone, I feel like I just need to like leave an impression or a mark on them. And if I say something stupid or embarrassing, it's so hard for me to let go of that. And so it's just, it gets to the point where I'll get like sweaty hands and like lightheaded and physically feel like I'm going to pass out. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I used to use alcohol to cope with that. And now I'm just trying to learn how to navigate that in life without alcohol. So that's, so what have you done? How are you, I mean, uh, go not going to the meetings is, is one, you know, mm -hmm. one way, but I I realized that was a huge trigger for me. And so it's like, I, I took a step back and was like, okay. Let me take a few days off. And with that, I've gotten, like I said, the clarity to kind of rework that and lower the, you know, not, not every day. Um, I think I, I also get that a lot here at work in meetings. I feel like the that added pressure to be on. And um, I'll do things like I meditate, breathing Good. techniques. Grounding um, yourself. Grounding. Sometimes I'll just go take yeah. a little walk. You know, just these little things that I've learned to help me. But... Yeah, social anxiety has been something um, that's difficult for me. I know you you mentioned you have a different type of anxiety. Yeah, and I don't I don't know if I have a label for it, but again, growing up with a psychiatrist, yeah. like I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm holding back from from giving you advice on on <laughs> and, and tools, but I do have I have some resources for okay. you to think about. But um, my dad, uh, there's we call him Doctor Philisms. His name is uh, Phil. Your dad is Dr. Phil. It's, it, his name is Phil. His AOL email address, he, he ended up having to give it back, I think, when Dr. Phil got famous. But he was Dr. Phil at AOL.com. Oh um, so we call them Dr. Philisms. And it's these things that were just beat into my head that didn't make sense till later. And they they forced me. But I, I thought it was interesting as, like, you know, these, well, I'll go through some of it. Let go, let God. Mm-hmm. It's not your business what other people think of you. So like mantras. It yeah. Sounds like almost. Okay. And um, uh, you're the best, Lindsay, you can be. You say, you always say you're th- you're and, and you're perfectly imperfect. And so is everybody else. You know, so these are, and, and he would drop these and I'd be like, what? Okay, that was not helpful. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but if I think about it, they really, 
They really are. And this, this, the one that really, really um, didn't make sense until my, um, my forties was, it's not your business what people think of you. And that isn't so. It's like everybody think about all the thoughts that you have about people every day. Who are you most thinking about all of the time? Mm, myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so is absolutely everybody yeah. else. Now that isn't that doesn't help, but it would you know. I, I guess I, I maybe I, part of mine is social anxiety. I, I don't want to, I don't want to do anything detrimental. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make. I, I get a little into the perfection anxiety um, of of making a mistake, where it becomes sort of a, a paralysis, or if I feel things are out of control. Because again, it takes me way back to my childhood, where mm -hmm. it's like, oh, if I'm not exactly who you want me to be, I'm somehow a failure, and then I go, you know. That's that's hard, and that still comes back for me, and I manifest it. You know, I don't. You know, there are times that I will turn to uh, either. Uh, I, I there were, there were times in my life where I just pour a drink and be like, okay, that's that that's good, yeah. or work. And when you have kids, you you can't you can't be hungover. You can't be right. like it's a, it, it really saves a lot of things. And and I actually feel horrible most of the times after if I drank one glass of wine or fifty. It's I think it's a gift. <laughs> so. Um, but I will, what I end up doing, and it's, and it's, it's really sort of manic, is I clean, I organize, I am, I, will you come to my house, I will take you through every closet, I can tell you what's in there, um, and every, the way things are lined up, I can't go to sleep, and this is when I'm feeling that anxiety, is that things have to be just so, and it's my little way of um, having little mini senses of accomplishment, like, mm -hmm. It actually, it's it's enjoyable. Wow, I've really yeah. yeah. I'm sure. You, I mean, you've had very high stress jobs, and I'm sure you've had anxiety with them. So mm -hmm. I was going to say, how do you cope? So cleaning, cleaning, and then you know, it's self care. So um, yeah. And I am. Uh, so I want to. I want to make sure people know that the re one of the reasons I'm, I've been able to be as successful as I have been, and and be away from my family is because I my husband's a stay at home dad, mm. and he makes my life very easy. In addition to being handsome, kind, funny, and Aww. you know, but he just holds down the fort and he's really pragmatic too. Like he, he recognizes, you know, he'll see me cleaning. He's like, everyone just move away from your mom. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he, and he, he, like, he talks through things with me. It's just, it is, uh, it's really nice, but, but he picks up. So a lot of couples have, of uh, dual income. A, a lot of single people have to bear the burden. They're single parents. Like I, I, I'm very empathetic and compassionate because that's amazing to me. I feel very lucky, very blessed that I have the support structure that I do have through my husband. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, that also allows me to just say, like, I'm going to go get a massage or I'm yeah. going to go to yoga or I'm going to, hey, guys, my, <laughs> my husband built me. First, when we first moved to the house, he built me a meditation garden. It looked, it was, uh, it was not very pretty, but <laughs> <laughs> everyone in the neighborhood made hurt. fun of me. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, I was like, oh, that's, that's super sweet. Yeah. But that, when I go through those times, you know, I have self-doubt. I have, there, there are things, but, but I'm over the hump. Um, and, and those things where, like, I make mistakes and that sucks. But my only job is to learn from it. Yeah. Not to self-flagellate and, like, beat myself up. Like, what good am I to anybody if if something goes wrong and then everybody wants to circle around it and you know that's yeah. it's, it's a it's unhealthy so I can recognize where 
if I start to ruminate or go down that path, like I, I, I do something for me. Yeah, it sounds like your home and your family is like your sanctuary. Oh, your it safe is. Place, I'm telling place you, where you have stability, yeah. and that's great. That's awesome. And listen, parenting's hard too, right? Yeah. So we've gotten my 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 son. He's he's in his teens, and he's not, he you know he struggles. We talk about it though. He struggles with anxiety, and I think probably a low you know just uh, it's tough. All the hormones and the school and everything else. So it's it. Being a parent and wanting your kids to have the perfect life and not struggle or anything else. Mm -hmm. I'm learning that, too. It's like, well, wait a minute. This is his journey, too. Right. I can be here, hands near. So you don't really experience social anxiety? I experience, um, yeah, I, I would, I don't, I, I guess maybe I've never said it's social anxiety. Because sometimes anxiety shows up in the oddest places. You were s mentioning like some like health worries is yes like a common thing for you yes so i it's have a, a yeah and i and i have a, I, I have a, a a chronic health issue that i have to manage mm -hmm. through but you know getting up to that like if if i have if i'm in a bad place i you know when when the internet was invented <laughs> and it started to come around like I was all over WebMD. I was like, oh, you know, here's this. I was looking for answers outside of myself as a means of justifying what I was going through. Mm -hmm. And I spent a lot of time, and I know you've talked about it too, is that hypochondria is like when you start to go down that path, it's like that's a red flag. Something's going on. It's not mm -hmm. right in your life. Like I was searching for an answer or a labor, lab, uh, label that was a quick fix. And what, you know, what I ultimately came to realize it's like oh i'm sorry i slept four hours last night <laughs> and right i'm sleeping or tired. yeah i'm sleeping it's like you know what it's not brain cancer yeah. it's not it's um i and again i my do kids do the same thing mothers like that because you want to i think it's just like i actually i see it in all kinds all people, of people yeah. right like i see it in but but the question you have to ask yourself is like so so amy what if you have brain cancer then what Oh, you know, like mm. I could go put on this and I will go to a doctor <laughs> and yeah. I'll do the best that I can. Yeah. And I'm going to take really good care of myself. So if that's the answer, just just do that. Mm -hmm. And like so walk yourself through. Well, yeah, like I, s I still I, I, I think I a couple of weeks ago I, I was on to something is that I I have a, an autoimmune issue likely caused by stress in my life, you know, mm -hmm. that I just sort of. Um, handle a lot of women. I uh, it's a growing and it's a very broad diagnosis, uh, but is you know it's your basically your body is attacking itself, mm -hmm. and um, I just have to manage it by taking care of myself. And had I done that to begin with, I wouldn't have had to to manage that. But I when I was thinking it was progressing to something else, and I was having some um, just foggy thinking, and mm -hmm. I was like, you know, go down there. Do I have early onset Alzheimer's or anything else? And then you know, everyone in my family, we poke fun at each other and you know you just catch yourself you know, okay so what if i if i have early onset alzheimer's then i won't even remember any of this so mm. why stress about it now yeah. so <laughs> that's true that's a great point if you have alzheimer's you I have mean, no idea it's happening what is what, that's a lot of energy to go into trying to figure out you know what, what's my aim when you don't even know if it's actually true it's like right i, know I mean you could you could diagnose anything and yeah. and i talked to my kids about it they they call me dr mom because i you know i diagnose everything but i grew up that way too that's it's like kind of the same thing with you know social anxiety i have this fear the of something that's not even actually happening <laughs> it's just like yeah and but and and here's the thing that's okay yeah that's all right so like 
another great piece of advice someone gave me when I was going through a stressful time is like, Amy, you're so, you know, you're such a good friend. You're really kind. You're really empathetic. You take care of everyone else. Like, Why don't you treat yourself that way? And it's like, oh. Mm. So if you could learn to talk to yourself like you're talking to your best friend. Like, Self, I mean, like I was, oh, like, I'm telling you, like, I the conversations I have in my head are awesome. Like, you would <laughs> be like, you know, you did, you did, you did, didn't work out. You did the best you did. If I catch myself going, oh, I should have done it. Oh, you know what? You're awesome. And I'll, you'll get him next time. You love yourself. Yeah. Say, I well, love you, Amy, to yourself. So there's a book on our shelf at home called I Love Myself. Oh, and basically, I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> and it really, I, and this is another thing that if you, it's when you start to replace the, the voice in your head, but just say, literally, the only thing you say is I love myself, I love myself, I love myself, I love your pattern of thinking is going to yeah. start to change. I remember the first time I said that to myself, I was in treatment and I cried because I had never viewed myself or mm. said that before. And it, I think it actually saying that to yourself out loud really makes a difference. So I encourage yeah. everyone to go tell yourself that you love yourself. Right. <laughs> Me too. I do too. I think yeah. it's, it's actually, it does wonders. And it also, it, it can, you can scream it out the, the negative voices. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's, um, that's good advice. That yeah. is good advice. Well, thank you. Good job. Um, and then, oh, we should end it with uh, a little reality television. Yeah. <laughs> you Do you watch reality TV? Oh, my God. Lindsay? All right. So I, I watch so much. I feel like we're going to have some new listeners to, to this podcast. Just a heads up. I didn't just, like, randomly switch gears. I usually wrap up the episode with a little reality television talk to end on a lighter note because it's my guilty pleasure. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it is my guilty pleasure too. Okay. All right. So I'm. Um, are you ready for me? So yeah, I'm, I'm do. I the I, the Real Housewives. Okay. Of which, so what, oh. of Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills, Orange County, in New York. Have you been watching the new Beverly Hills with Denise Richards? Yes. She got married in, in like, two days. Yes. What, what's up with that? And, and then her wedding and then dress was a romper. And <laughs> <laughs> I thought she's a cool chick. She's an interesting. Mm -hmm. I She's can't very low key relax. Yeah. Like, hey, let's just get married in two days. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. Like, okay. And it all, but, but she sort of lets this flow with the universe and they wanted to get married on an eight day. Right, so, and then I was, I had to say, I felt like puppy gate was a little, <gasps> Oh my goodness. Duh. The entire season of the real housewives of Beverly Hills has been about a rescue puppy that one of the women adopted from Lisa Vanderpump, and then it ended up in a kill shelter, and uh, like it's that's the entire season has been that. But so here's what this How did for me. It, it it frustrated me. Well, first of all, I want to tell you that my son had his spring break two weeks ago, and so I took a couple days off, and we just did touristy things, and mm -hmm. we spent a couple hours at Vanderpump Dogs. So oh. I um, and we met a, a a dog named Skipper who I then told my son he could have, but then when I told my husband, who said, I'm going to end up taking care of it, it, it was a whole thing at this home. This could be your end to the reality show. You could <laughs> be a new <laughs> member. <laughs> new and, and actually keep the dog. Yeah. But here's the thing that that whole puppy gate did for me. It was like the, the plot line was showing, right? It was showing you how, you know, that they, they plant these, uh, you know, manipulations. And, and I was like, oh. Okay, well, they're basically we're calling out Lisa Vanderpump that you know she was she was gonna get a great storyline in there, yeah. but you know what? It's okay. I still love it, and I'm obsessed with it, and um, I don't know why. You asked mm -hmm. that question on here, and it's like, what? Why? It is like just it's brain candy. Yeah, and I, it's just like a way to kind of turn off at the end of the day. Yeah. Is just watch like pointless, brainless television that takes no actual effort to process. <laughs> it's just like 
it is fascinating. And so Orange County um, also, and that oh, one's, yeah. uh, have, have you ever watched Orange uh, County? I did a little bit. Is it still on? Yes. It okay. was, you know, it was the, uh, that's the, the OG, right? Uh, yeah. OG is OC. Yes. And, um, and I am, this one is, uh, they're, 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 it's been on a long time. I'll say that. But I see the ladies around the oh. Orange County. So oh, I've you live in Orange County. I live right. in the OC, yeah. yeah. So, and uh, and then New York is always great. I feel like yeah. they're the most authentic. Like they're they, there's that's some real drama. Luann's dealing with addiction right I'm now. I'm familiar with New okay. York a little this bit. Is, I, I know Bethany. Yeah. These are these these line. are people of my generation. Okay. So I have <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot invested in it, and it's you know and to see that. So I don't know that that whole franchise is. I love it. Fascinating I hope it never ends. And mm. then I do The Bachelor. I do. I have with a group of my all of my girlfriends from college. An email goes out the next day. My friend Regina puts out, oh, yeah. and we we've met. We've met Chris. Yes, we've <laughs> met Chris Harrison. Um, yeah. uh-huh, I met him at a, an ALS fundraiser, or no, a scleroderma fundraiser, um, and he got him back. to email. He does get back. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, and then I met. Right now, I I got into American Idol. Oh, who? but that's a huge investment that's still of time. On? I, that's it been just came back with last year with Lionel Richie, Katy Perry, and oh, Luke. Okay. Uh, Luke. I know this. Yeah. Anyway, I love to see people come, you know, and tell their story, and yeah. then show this this God given talent. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. It's so inspiring. I mean, I'm I'm sitting there. You know, my my daughter will come out for a glass of water. She's like, Mom, it's midnight. <laughs> you need to go to bed. And I'm like, I know, I know. So invested in the story. <laughs> well, that's so cool. What about you? Now, uh, um, you got me. I tried to get into Lindsay Lohan. Yeah, that's over now. That ended. And I don't think they're going to have a new season. It was the most pointless reality television show in the history of reality TV. There was no plot. It was just. <laughs> <laughs> I tried so hard. I was like, well, Lindsay likes it. I'm going to. I think so. I just liked it because it was like so dumb, like <laughs> very um, mindless. Yeah, very mindless. Uh, Vanderpump Rules is always a favorite of mine. Actually, one of the characters on that show, Lala, she recently came out as saying that she's um, sober and she's going to AA. Oh, and good for her. Yeah, so I hope that's uh, reflected in the show. Some positive, you know, behavior and mental health. That'd be good. But yeah, I love it. So. That's well, good. Well, keep on keeping on. Good okay. job, Lindsay. Well, thank you so much, Amy. Thank for you. Being here. Thank you I for really having me. I really enjoyed hearing your story. It was well, so great. thanks. It was very long. No, so. no, not at all. All right. All right. Thank you. Have we'll a good see night. you next time. Bye.